1: lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Welcome to the Be Here Now Network guest podcast. This series features talks from a myriad of modern spiritual teachers expanding on how we can all live a life in balance. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash guest. These retreats can be thought of as a journey. It's an unusual journey. Because it's a journey that's traveled by being more and more in the same place. To really be here in a full way. And it's a journey of discovery, discovery of what is here, here in you, in fuller and fuller ways many times discovering aspects of ourselves that are unknown. It's a journey of being more and more willing to be here, interested in being really here, as opposed to interested in things that are in other places and other times. Sometimes it's a journey of surrendering to here because any alternative is to that, that's too difficult. It's a journey of letting go into here. So it's a journey that goes nowhere, <clears throat> but in the process we're changed. And so it can be, it's kind of a journey. And <clears throat> and some of this journey uh, sometimes can be seen in the theme we're doing now, deliberative, liberative dependent arising a series of conditions that support the movement towards letting go, to the release of clinging. And if you come across yourself clinging to something attached, holding on to something strongly, or weakly even, that you can't quite let go of, then it's useful to think of these, these steps of dependent or liberative dependent arising as some of the conditions that are useful to have in place to help you let go. Letting go, you know, especially the deepest letting go that's helpful to do. is not easy to do. And so we kind of prepare ourselves for that possibility, and create the optimal, optimal kind of mind and heart and body that sets the stage for being able to first see that deep holding we have, and then also to release it. And it's a journey to become free of our suffering. It's considered to be a noble journey and a noble cause to become free of dukkha. So today the topic is Samadhi. And I think of it as the last of the preparatory conditions. Because tomorrow, Uh, we'll start with the, the insight part of the journey. So tomorrow is seeing things as they are. And we'll actually have two days on that topic because it's so important. It's the insight of insight meditation that we'll explore. But all the steps before that are kind of the preparation for having insight. So we have the suffering and faith and gladness, happiness, tranquility, and joy. So gladness, joy, tranquility, happiness, and now samadhi. And, um, and so these insights that uh, we're leading up to. Um, You know, it's, you know, they're not meant to be beliefs, like you have to read a book or hear a Dharma talk and not believe them, but they're actually something that are revealed, that are shown. And it's good to be prepared to see these things. And, um, and so we create the stability, we create some degree of well-being, and some degree of confidence. The opposite of the three characteristics. And these first steps of the of dependent arising are putting in place these conditions of fair degree of stability, of, if you know, appropriate degree hopefully of well-being, and a degree of, of confidence in oneself and the path of faith. And how much we need to have is up to each individual person, And but even just a little bit moves the journey along, and supports it. And so all these are, in samadhi, is the last of the preparatory ones, it's a condition we put in place, so that we can have these insights in a deep, deep way. And not only so we can have the insights, but so those insights that we have can change us. We can be changed by them in useful ways. Because if we're all tight and hard and attached to things, it's, hard, it's not, not easy to allow things to soften us, or release us, or free us. And so part of the first steps of preparation is to create a state of mind, a state of heart, state of being, that's malleable, workable, changeable, soft enough to kind of let something open up in a deeper and deeper way. And this idea of preparation, I think, is kind of nice, or at least I think it's nice, because um, when we go to some place that's sacred, something that's very, very special, it's it's kind of common that we prepare ourselves. And sometimes you go to sacred sites and you don't just kind of, you know, sc- drive your car, screech up to the front door and just, you know, dash in and You know, you like here you park way down at the bottom of the hill and and you walk up the hill past the gate and further up the steep hill and and then you have to make this right turn and you come into this big courtyard where there's a nice kind of pool and into this hallway with the glass doors and finally you come in here and this is a special place. We we would all feel kind of uncomfortable someone's screeched up to the door You know, it wouldn't be the preparation, we're not, you know, we're not being changed or softened or prepared for it. So there's something about going into a sacred space that people often, humans often get prepared and ready for it. And I think that uh, going, getting ready for insight, I think of insight as stepping into a sacred world of seeing, and that we want to prepare ourselves. It's very different than how some people are when they first hear about, you know, insight of insight meditation and There's an acquisitive sense, in a hurry, spiritual materialism. Get this as quickly as I can. But to kind of be a certain kind of healthy humility approach. When I I went to practice in Japan, in the monasteries in Japan, the first thing that you had to do when you came to the monastery to ask permission to get in is uh, we, I had to stand at the outside the monastery at the gate. And I just stand there and wait. None of the screeching up to the door and tumbling out and announcing that I'm here. <laughs> Where's my room? <laughs> it was like, you know, I had to stand at the gate and wait, then wait, then wait, then wait. And finally, someone came out and checked me out and, and asked me a Dharma question to kind of make sure that I was, you know, ready to come into the monastery. So I passed the Dharma question, <laughs> just enough to be able to be invited into the front entry hall. And just off to the side, there was a kind of a waiting room. And I was invited to sit in that waiting room. There was this you know Zafu, and I was invited to sit there and kind of until they came and get me again. So I had to wait and wait. And this time the waiting took seven days of sitting there waiting. And I got to go eat, I got to go sleep and go to the bathroom and stuff, but just and it was uh, you know, this kind of preparing and making sure you're ready and kind of this you know, certain kind of, I think they were looking for a certain kind of humbleness rather than some kind of arrogance about coming into the sacred world of practice that they had to offer. So we're preparing ourselves. And then we come to this topic of samadhi. And samadhi is, I think, a very, for me, a very powerful word. I think it's a powerful word in, in much of Indian religious traditions. And some Indian, Indian Indian traditions hold up the word Samadhi like the Buddhists would hold up the word Nibbana or Nirvana. It's like, that's almost synonymous. It's a very important word and, and, um, and I, you know, I think of Samadhi, I, don't want to use, I want to use that word Samadhi rather than the English, you know, the C word I don't want to use tonight. And uh, partly to kind of, because it's really a special thing, something to honor and have respect for, some kind of reverence for, and not to be acquisitive or demanding. And I think samadhi is a gift. So, um, um, So, samadhi, one of the meanings of samadhi is to gather together, to unify, and um, and it's associ- associated with being at home, uh, coming home. And the idea of a home is a place where you feel safe, where you feel accepted, and you really be yourself. You don't have to try to be someone else, and you can be yourself and you can, you know, you can maybe fart and it's okay, or mm. some other unusual thing. You know, it's just safe, it's comfortable, very comfortable. And, um, and some people, of course, don't have a house or home where they have that, but that's the kind of the, the idea of it. By the time I was 18, I had lived in 12 different homes. And three of them were without my family, in four different countries. So, the idea of a home, a literal home, to find this homeness was not, you know, a reference for me. But I had other references for it. And one reference was um, um, being in bed. There was, uh, I'm, no- I'm Norwegian and Norwegians have comforters. And so, this, being this comforter was so nice. You know, it was a place where I felt so safe and cozy and home. And and it was kind of formative for me to have that, whatever feeling I had in that kind of laying there. Um, I have found a deep sense of at-homeness that became a reference for me on the bus, public bus, going home from school. There was something about sitting on that bus that I just would go into this place of feeling so safe and Connected and accepted and like I, I belonged in the world Or when I went back because I moved so much my grandparents house was my stable base we'd go there periodically and and um, so the, and My grandmother It was a formative experience that I didn't know was formative until I was an adult. I took it for granted I didn't think about it. Just, just didn't even know what was going on how it was affecting my heart, but I um, this is, you know, in Norway, and this kind of beautiful, not beautiful, but kind of rustic wooden room with a wooden bed, everything was wooden, and this beautiful morning light coming in through the window, and I i don't know how old I was, but a kid, little kid, and I could read, and, uh, I'd be in the comforter, under the comforter, and I'd be reading the Donald Duck magazines, and, um, and my grandmother would come in and bring me a toast with cheese. And when I was an adult, at some point I realized that that was formative. The sense of love and home and safety that I had just from the, you know, her bringing that in. I had no idea at the time that, it meant anything. But in fact, it meant a lot. So to have, so one of the things that happened for me as I started practicing and meditating these references I had for, for home, for safety, for being accepted or being at ease in my being, um, kind of got reawakened or remembered. And remem- the memory of them was actually part of the process of discovering a homeness here in myself. And I think that's kind of the goal of practice is to discover how to be at home here in a deep way and to carry it with you wherever you go. And so I think of, for me, I associate samadhi with that movement. If samadhi is practiced in a way that is holistic and integrated and has the qualities of being relaxed and spacious and, you know, inclusive of not only ourselves, but inclusive, seemingly inclusive of everything and so in this wonderful sphere of samadhi. So samadhi is a gathering in, a gathering together, uh, in, in the sense that all the different parts of us are working together. They're not; all the like desperate, desperate parts of ourselves are not kind of at odds with our, themselves, or we're not in conflict with ourselves, or not going in cross purposes to ourselves. And so there's kind of a gathering together, being really here with all of us. And uh, uh, something that uh, when I think of this. I have this wonderful event where one of my one of the one of my great teachers in recent he, you know years was my son's preschool teacher, and uh, he was a, such a wise man. And I used to love going into the preschool and and, uh, and just see what wisdom he had today. It was great. One of the great, really great experiences of tranquility. And that you can experience is to go into a, a preschool when all the kids are napping. That's exquisite.
2: <laughs>
1: but uh, sometimes I would w- go in, and um, and it was chaos. And then uh, the teacher, uh, the way that he would, uh, when it was time to change what they were doing, you know, t- you know, they were doing no, no the time to stop playing and have snack or, whatever, or something. something. Um, he would stand in the middle of the floor, this big playroom, and stand up tall. He was kind of a big guy. And he stand up tall and he would start whispering. I don't know what he whispered, but he would start whispering like, it's time for stories. You come here, I'll tell you the story. And come here and sit down. And and he would just stand there very stable and strong and just whisper in a gentle way, a loving way to these kids. And the kids would be like, like the Pied Piper. They would just (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, they would come and sit down around him. And um, you didn't have to yell, you know, sit down. <laughs> Stop what you're doing. He's, just, he's whispered. And so the idea of gathering together this kind, loving way so, to ourselves. Come here. Come here. Your thoughts wander off. Come back. Come here. Whisper to it kindly. Come here, be here. It's okay now. Come back. Your energies are bouncing off the walls in here. Come back. Be here. Kind of gathering together. Come here. Be all together, all parts of you. All all the parts are included here. And to have this uh, kind of inclusive presence, being of samadhi, uh, it's supported by all the earlier steps, in the liberative, dependent, arising. In fact, the one immediately preceding it is happiness. And that's a big clue about how to experience samadhi. That there has to be some modicum of, and the one before that is tranquility. So some modicum of relaxation and well-being for samadhi to be holistic, samadhi to be a useful, healthy samadhi. I've known people who neglected that that part of the path, and uh, you know, it's possible to get concentrated with it's an act of will. It's possible to get concentrated not only with an act of will, but with greed, with even aversion, and all kinds of unskillful, unhelpful states of mind. And um, but it's not a useful (laughs) concentration. (laughs) It's not a, not a useful samadhi. (laughs) And, um, it can be brittle and actually it can be a lot of tension that can build up and pressure. And sometimes kind of this, the, 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 the energetic pressure and tension that builds up can lead to other kind of, um, unfortunate kind of consequences where people get a little imba- imbalanced perhaps or unstable or fragile in some ways. But if we can stay uh, soft, relaxed and some well-being, I don't want to say happy, that's maybe seems like too high a bar, but some sense of well-being, uh, <clears throat> then it's easier to, to settle into samadhi. And one thing to understand about samadhi is that it's a state of being it's not a one-pointed focus. It's not like a singular, a singular mental factor that we have to kind of engage like a laser. We open the control tower and we're like zeroing in as a laser. Um, certainly, a f- focus is part of it, but it's a, it's a state of being. Samadhis are states and not just a simple mental functioning. And so, uh, to allow yourself to, to settle into a state that's broad, expansive, or settled, or relaxed, unified, it helps to be relaxed, it helps to be, have some well-being, it helps to have faith, uh, it helps to have some um, modicum of stability, and it helps to be mindful. In fact, this, these steps of liberative dependent arising are meant to accompany the practice of mindfulness all along, being mindful of what's going on. And part of mindfulness is we start uh, noticing where we're attached, where we feel stuck. We start noticing how we're tense, start noticing how we have preoccupations and concerns. And then we're trying to learn to, with the mindfulness, to, to have a wise relationship to those things and to find a way to not be in conflict with anything, anything at all. Or the function of mindfulness is to find a way to live kind of at peace or conflict free with whatever arises for us, whether it's within us or outside of us. And certainly to try to try to kind of heal some of the wars that can exist inside of us, where you know, one part of us doesn't accept the other part of us and you know, they don't talk to each other perhaps. Uh, if they do, it's kind of in a rough way. And so mindfulness is to see all this and kind of, you know, recognize it and perhaps meet it with kindness, meet it with friendliness. So that the different parties are willing to sit down at the table and talk, and get to know each other, find out what's going on. So mindfulness is important for this whole process. And as we get to know each other and the conflicts and the tensions begin to settle, then it's kind of more and more natural that we begin to settle into here. Remember, the journey is to end up here and to, sh- and to kind of start feeling like here is a more interesting place to be than there. That here and now is more interesting than there and then. That here, and part of this movement of mindfulness and samadhi is a clarifying of our, of our interest. Because if you sit down and try to focus on your breathing, for example, but you find it hard to do because your mind is thinking about all kinds of things, part of you is more interested in the thoughts. You think you're interested in the breath, but something's more interested in whatever you're concerned with. And so it takes a while to kind of clarify what is really interesting, what's really important, what's valuable to focus your attention on. And it's a big job to convince the mind that it's more interesting to be in the present moment here in the immediate details of the breath, of the body, of the heart, mind, to really be here as opposed to there and then, opposed to these thoughts and ideas and distractions. And that's part of mindfulness, the practice is to learn about that, to learn why it's more interesting to be here, to recognize that some of our interests that we have are maybe not that interesting after all. And maybe some of you are like me, that sometimes you have to be lost in particular fantasies for a few days, weeks, or years, before it finally dawns on you, you know, this is getting old. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, this is no longer so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> And then finally, well, what's more interesting? You'd look around and say, well, what about the lived experience? What about right here, now? And so this kind of clarifying of interest. So we're being able to be here. And so there's a settling into here. And this gathering together into here. Here. And then, and then as we're more and more here and feel more whole, feel more connected to ourselves, then samadhi begins to Arise. Uh, the word that I like, the English word that I like to use for s- translating samadhi, is composure. And little bit I get away with it because the etymology of samadhi has the same etymology of the word composure. Sam, sum is like with, and the d part of samadhi means to pose or to stand. So this idea of of um, you know compose composure. And I like composure because um, it doesn't doesn't have the connotations of the control tower and the laser. Composure for me, when you compose yourself, is something you do with your whole body. You know, someone says, you know, you should compose yourself and maybe sit up straight and take a deep breath and relax. And and then also for me, the idea of composure is you compose yourself around the experience. So um, rather than doing that unnameable word, um, you, you, rather we compose ourselves on the breathing. So, what does it mean to to get composed? So that, you know, the attention, the body, even emotionally, we're kind of settling around the experience we're focusing on, to be composed, to be settled. And, um, and then at some point, um, the we're composed enough and settled enough and interested enough to be here, that the interest in the hindrances no longer operate. The interest in our desires, the interest in our resentments and our aversions and hurts, the interest in our restlessness and our sleepiness and our doubt kind of abates and the energy that goes into it abates and it becomes easier and easier just to be here. And the interest is easier to have right here because the pool is not <clears throat> going on, not there. And, um, <clears throat> and so, uh, and it's easier and easier to kind of stay present. <clears throat> and the, the image I have for being present, being kind of focused and engaged, is that of a boat, uh, the bow of the boat, cutting through the water. The, 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 the tip of the bow, kind of um, pushes the water to its side. And the water just washes off the side of the bo- boat, and you know, keeps going. And the boat keeps, doesn't, it's not stopped by it. So we keep, at some point, we're able to keep our focus on the breathing, or the metta, or the, pre- you know, the experiences of the present moment. And the thoughts and all kinds of things might arise, sounds might arise, but they don't, they, they don't grab us, they don't grab our interest. They kind of wash off the side of the boat. And we keep going. If it's big seas and big waves, then um, you know, we have to deal with the big waves and find our way. But if the water is this really still and quiet, then that boat just cuts through smooth and easy right, po- you know, you're po- pointing towards the harbor and it just can go straight into the harbor. Just, there's not nothing, All the water doesn't interfere with it. it. just washes off the hull. So at some point, we have the ability to be focused. And that focus, we stay there. Distracted thoughts might arise. We let go of them. We let them fall away. We let them fall away. We come back. We come back. We kind of keep the focus on the harbor, the safe harbor where we're going. And so come back. And, and we stay. It becomes more interesting to stay keep the focus on the safety of the harbour we're going to, you know, focusing on the breath, focusing on than it is to be involved in anything else. It's more interesting, it's more engaging, it's more meaningful in a sense. And so, um, that kind of beginning, that also begins to gather together more and more of this, all the different energies and activities and mental functionings of ours, all kind of gather for this purpose of kind of going towards that safe harbor. And I use the word "safe for like a harbor, because Samadhi is a state that feels very like great safety. There's phenomenal degree of safety to be found in states of Samadhi. just feel safe. We're protected in so many different things and we're going to have the soft, relaxed, peaceful, spacious qualities of mind that come with Sam a healthy Samadhi. And then, um, there are these different, um, uh, different mental functions that come into play that support the deepening of this samadhi. And, uh, the two that are often paired together are sometimes, uh, probably called the vitaka and vichara. And, the, the initial, um, kind of application of attention and the sustained attention. So if I want to, polish this big bell here I would get a cloth and I wouldn't if I put the cloth on the bell that's not going to do much good to polishing it I have to kind of touch the bell with the cloth and then I have to rub it so the touching of bringing the cloth to the bell is the is the initial application of mind and then the rubbing it is sustaining it being there with it and uh, some people are really good at the first, but it never occurred to do the second. They, um, they, they bring their mind back and sometimes it's a dutiful approach to mindfulness. So, okay, I'm supposed to be present. I'll come back. And so, you know, you, 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 you know, you, and as soon as we're back, well, I've done what I am supposed to do. So then, you know, then now I can stop paying attention. And the mind wanders off. I call it the checklist approach to mindfulness. You know, done that, you know, to don't pay any more attention. But uh, the idea is to really go in there and, and be there and feel it, and, you know, the, the um, you know, what is this? Get to know it or sustain the attention there. And this works both for, you know, straight samadhi practice, where you stay on one object and only one object, like the breathing, where you really sustain, hang out there with it. It also works with um, kind of more choiceless awareness forms of vipassana, where you have changing objects in the present moment, but you take your time with each one. You know, you want to connect to it, and then while it's there for a while, you want to sustain the attention and be with it. Um, And there's, you know, that sense of staying and being, going deeper into it. uh, um, Sinking into it, perhaps, or riding on it. One of the classic images for these two is that of a bird taking off in flight from the ground. The initial application is to kind of flap the wings and then once it's flying and soaring, that's the sustained attention. Or I think of it like surfing. Like you have to swim to get catch the wave and then you stop, you kind of, and then once your waves caught you, then you have to just kind of, you know, ride the wave. Or if you don't like surfing, um, the scooter. You know, you have to you know, you push the scooter, and then you stay on it, so it glides you for a while, Then you push it, it glides for a while. So you just kind of connect to the breathing, and then you glide on it, you ride it, as long as you can. And then, maybe you have to do it again, ride it, like that. And then, if, if you allow me, the, the, one of my favorite images was Vitaka Vichara, is uh, petting a cat you know, simply putting your hand on the cat, it doesn't go over very well on the cat. So the initial contact, you know, has to be, has to be some follow-through. So this, you know, the petting the cat, so you contact the cat, that's the initial, and you pet it. And you stay with it. And after a while, the cat begins to purr. After a while, if we can stay in this kind of stay with something, keep coming back and kind of working the breath, working the present moment, staying with it, um, come back, be there, stay, stay, and letting distractions go, letting all the other forces go, and just kind of settle in the simplicity, the continuity of attention brings contentment, as I think Philip said, or brings the purring. It's kind of a, a peculiar aspect of the mind that. The mind that's kind of absorbed, or wrapped, or engaged fully in something, begins to purr. And purring is piti and sukha. It's the joy and the happiness that begin happening. A sense, a sense of lightness, a sense of well-being, a sense of delight, a sense of some joy or happiness, of different kinds that begin arising. And those are kind of encouragements. To, it's part of the encouragement to say, oh yeah, Stay on track. It's good to be here. Right here. It feels so good just to be here. It's very healing. There's so much suffering that we carry with us. And, uh, and the, to do this work, to do the risky work, the courageous work of really being present for our experience and being willing to kind of enter into some of these realms of samadhi, uh, gives access to uh, amazing healing capacities of integration, of softening, of opening, of reconciliation of all kinds, of various kinds. And then the, the, the so there's the fifth kind of quality that comes into play as we get into more samadhi, is, um, is uh, sometimes called one-pointedness. Not sure that's the best translation of the ekagata, Ekagata, Uh, but it's a, it's a, um, it's kind of, um, it's a state shift. At some point in Samadhi, there's a state shift. where We actually feel a change of state that I, when it happens, I think of it as a gift. I think of Samadhi, that kind of level of state shift in Samadhi. Is being a, all Samadhi is being a pure gift, um, kind of act of grace. And I just feel so fortunate when it, when it comes into play. And so there's a state shift. Some people describe as being now really locked in, like just really, like now, or or just like rooted. Now we're really rooted in the present moment, or rooted in um, in the in whatever we're focusing on. So the, the tendency to wander off, just not really not there. Uh, the idea of, I like the idea of being rooted, like whomp, like whomp, here I are, now I'm here, and any any movement towards distraction. To be involved in anything else, um, do, either doesn't happen, or if it, any tendency to, tendency towards it, it feels like you suddenly there's a you're going uphill, like there's a steep, like you're in the bottom of a big bowl, and the place of rest is at the you know the bottom of the bowl, and uh, the sides of the bowl it's a lot of work to climb up the slippery sides. So why would you? So You try and you slip right back. You know you're, you're kind of rooted in this place. And um, and, uh, and then from there, this, it's kind of like you're entered into a new state, Samadhi state, that then is very supportive for uh, developing a f- fuller Samadhi, a deeper Samadhi. It's very uh, it can move towards deeper and deeper states of equanimity. And in fact, at this level of the liberated Pender rising where they talk about concentration, the implication or the, the, the idea is that this, this is developing samadhi to the level of, of, of very deep equanimity, where there's kind of a, a deep, this being rooted and being here and really settled um, is so strong and so content and so safe that the mind doesn't really react to anything that goes on. It doesn't really start, it doesn't, it's not for or against anything, or it's not liking or not like anything. It's just, it's here, in a peaceful way. The classic image is that of a person uh, coming out of a, a nice, you know, refreshing, nice bath, or plunge in the lake, and really clean, and then being wrapped in a very, very thin, very light, very white, clean, pure, a uh, sheet that, that covers their whole body in a comfortable, nice way. Uh, very safe and cozy and nice. And, you know, nothing's really bothering you. You're kind of protected from the insects, protected from the sun. And you're safe, kind of. So that's a classic image. My image for it is another place where I felt safe and at home growing up when I was really small, was taking a white uh, bed sheet and putting it over the little dining room table. And then, so it came down to the floor, and then crawling underneath. And this beautiful light would come in from, you know, through the white sheet. And it was so, even though it was noisy in the house, it would be so still and quiet under that table in this little sacred temple, you know. And I was there all cozy and safe. And so this, you know, everything, you know, all this stuff could happen around, but I was kind of, you know, nothing to do with me. That <laughs> was my safe place, so this equanimity, is a safe place. And that <clears throat> uh, is considered to be one of the great foundations for doing vipassana, for having the insights, for seeing things as they are. And to give you a little bit of sense of how this might work, I want to <clears throat> use an analogy again. <clears throat> Some of you heard this before, but I'll use it a little bit differently so that you'll stay interested. (laughs) Um, So, um, so I imagine that you're out for a nice day off walk in some place that feels very comfortable and nice, safe for you, and maybe out in the oak woodland hills, maybe. And um, <clears throat> and you come, um, you know, and you come to a river, and it's a nice oak tree, and sit down and lean against the oak tree, and if you've had a nice hike, you're a little bit tired, so you take a nice nap, and you wake up from the nap totally refreshed, and you're a little hungry, so you have your little lunch yet with you, and you're totally satisfied, and you're just sitting there now, content and happy, nowhere to go, nothing to do, nothing to be. And so, you're sitting there watching the river go by. And as the river go, as, a, as, a, as you're watching, you see this big, you know, um, Mississippi showboat coming down the river, with the lights blaring, and music, and orchestra, and band, and dancers of all kinds, and <laughs> slot machines, and you
2: know,
1: all kinds of allures. And the next thing you know, you're on the showboat. But then but that took, a few, you know, a few months to realize you were gotten on the boat, <laughs> <laughs> and that you, you're no longer on your safe, content place on the river. So you figure out how to get off the boat, and you make your way back up the river, find your oak tree, and you sit there again. And then you're content and happy, but then you look and coming down the river is a war boat. and they're fighting the good cause. All guns blaring, and so the next thing you know, you're on the boat. It takes a few years to realize you're on that one. But finally you're just, wait a minute, I, I don't even know what they're fighting about. <laughs> so you get off takes a while to get back to your oak tree and finally, it feels so good to be there. It's a, you know, it's a long time to get back, but that was like, ugh, finally, you're so happy to be back. It's like so much contentment and happiness and delight. I'm back here, this is the place. But coming down the river is this poor, rickety, barely floating raft, just like decrepit or just you know, almost sinking like you feel so sorry for it. Oh, you know, it's like a miserable-looking little raft. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, it must be hard to be raft like that. And then you get on, the next thing you know, you're on that.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it takes a few years to get off that one. <laughs> it didn't sink quite fast enough. And so then you get off and you make your way back up. Finally sitting there in the tree and relaxed, comfortable, focused. You Now you're really interested in just being there. You're interested in just that spot, interested in the sense of well-being and contentment and, and the clarity of seeing that's there. You're interested in your well-being and what it feels like to be at home in this world, and not caught, and attached, and pulled into what goes on around you. But to feel that there's real wisdom, and compassion, and a deep sense of connectedness, sense of belonging, sense of that's here, sitting under that oak tree, just looking at the river going by. And then, sure enough, there's a boat coming down. And you look at that boat. It rises, it moves, and it passes by. And then another boat comes. It rises, it goes by, and it passes. And then more boats come. And after a while, you say, oh, these boats, they come and go. And you look up river and you see like, wow. I didn't, I can see, take your binoculars and look up the river and you see, there's like this massive, Massive factory up there. (laughs) All all it's doing is making boats. (laughs) They'll never be, if I get on every boat, there's never any end to it. So after a while, you start seeing these boats are impermanent. They're constructed. They're there for causes causes and conditions. They're not necessarily personally related to you. They're just phenomena that passing by. They arise and they pass. They come and they go. And start appreciating that from the place of being on the stable riverbank, on solid ground, at ease, resting, content in a samadhi state or happy or with strong confidence and faith, with interest in in what's possible in the human heart and mind, by staying rooted rooted here in this present moment, with equanimity, with non-reactivity, with not being pulled for and against experience, it's possible to discover something that's very important that very few people discover because they don't take the time it takes to settle and be. And one of the things we can start seeing Something very powerful about the the arising and passing of phenomena. The impermanence of experience. And that's a very important insight, which is the topic for tomorrow. But it's not something you have to believe. But it's something that when you're prepared, when the preparations are done, it will be revealed. When you've done your work and entered the temple, entered the sacred you know, riverbank, it'll be revealed to you that, that, in fact, all this stuff comes and goes, and and there's a whole different new way of relating to that life. And perhaps it's a way that uh, brings a lot more wisdom, a lot more compassion in how we engage in the world of things, that are right, that things, this impermanent world that we live in. And hopefully, hopefully and I've kind of staked my adult life on this, that doing this deep work and really arriving here, being interested in here, discovering this samadhi, this settledness, this happiness, this contentment, deep work, equanimity of just being here, transforms us into people who are peacemakers in this world. People who can step back into the world with compassion and care for the world in an important way. It's not an escape, but again, it's a preparation, sacred preparation for the sacred work of caring for each other in this world that we live in. So my hope in giving this talk and with the examples and analogies I gave, is that maybe you can find your own personal way of connecting to this topic of samadhi. Maybe you have your own experiences of being under the table or something that gives you a sense of the possibility. You have your own sense of <clears throat> a kind of sense of wholeness or healing or connectedness, subtleness, well-being of being here, that can ha- open you to the possibility of entering this present moment more fully, really being here. So that all that other things that are not needed right now, can just kind of wash off your hull as you head your boat to the safe harbor. And we can start now.